Good morning. How are we doing? Breakfast burritos good this morning? Breakfast in bed? Man, Hume New England is the only camp that has that tradition, and I was kind of envious when I heard about breakfast burritos in bed. I'm getting a, <laughs> a no here. That's okay. We can all have our opinion. Um, hey, Kajabi Can Can last night, did you guys have fun? Man, so good. SpongeBob had fun <laughs> up here. I see you, Xavier. Um, hey, okay, let's, let's think back to my message from last night. I, I gave you three ways from chapters two and three that God's people can persevere through trials. Who can tell me those three ways? We persevere through trials by, yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, knowing God, knowing who we are in him, and then what was the last one? Yeah. That's right. Amen. Standing together in truth. And we pulled that from Daniel's, from Daniel chapters 2 and 3. Hey, if you want to start opening, opening up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4 this morning. And while you're turning there, I'm going to kind of give an introduction to what we're going to talk about tonight. And uh, this evening, if you're not aware, you get to watch your counselors get slimed during a trivia game if they get questions wrong. Um, I don't know if that's news to you, but I, I'm telling you that because every time I see something like this where it's a trivia game and then there's consequences, consequences if someone gets a question wrong, um, I always see the crowd just demand justice. Like whenever, whenever your counselor gets a question wrong, you're just like, slime them. Give them the slime. And, and it's going to be so fun. And, and I just want to, to show you that we have inside of us this innate desire for justice of like, sorry, counselor, that's the rules of the game. You got the question wrong. Now you're going to get slimed. And we can have so much fun with it. And then may, maybe, well, not maybe, but definitely on a more serious note, I'm going to uh, just ask you to picture a scenario with me. And, and this isn't a real story. But it is real things and real characters that, that could happen today. But just again, to, to pull from you this realization that we have this innate desire for justice. So you can close your eyes, you can keep your eyes opened, uh, but whatever helps you just imagine this scene here. I want you to imagine that you're sitting in a courtroom and there's a trial going on. And, and you look up to, to the front right of the room and you see the suspect with handcuffs. And the trial that's going on, this suspect is accused of violently murdering his neighbor. And he's not just accused of it when, when he was found by the police. He was found with the, the neighbor's blood on his hands and the murder weapon in the car. And as you've watched the trial go underway, it's just become so evident that this, this man so clearly killed his neighbor and really, it was more of a formality to have this trial go on. But the jury gave their verdict to the judge. And now all eyes are on the judge. And then the judge says, for the crime of first-degree murder, I agree with the jury that the suspect is guilty. And he slams his gavel down. And that's that. There's, there's finality to the sentence and now, well, now what's going to happen is he's going to give the sentence. He's going to show or he's going to decide what the consequence for the convicted criminal will be. 
Now, I want you to hold, hold that in your pocket because we're going to pick that story back up later tonight. But I just want you to kind of examine your heart, examine your mind right now. And what, what do you feel when you hear that someone who so clearly killed their neighbor is, is declared guilty? Like, yes, of course. Of course he's guilty. He, he killed his neighbor. Now he has to pay the consequences for that. We have in us this innate desire for justice. And what I'm going to do this morning, um, it, it's from a posture really of, of love towards you guys because I'm not going to, to dumb down truth for you. Or I'm not going to sugarcoat things uh, to, to make you feel good. But rather, I'm just going to talk to you like you are young adults who can handle heavy truth. Because what we're going to talk about this morning is not something that's easy to talk about. And it's actually something that, that is probably quite offensive. Or, or it's just hard to process. Or you might even disagree. But as I was praying for this message, I'm just asking the Lord to do one thing here in this room tonight. And, and all of us, I want all of us who walk out of this room to at least be able to say how God views sin. We're going to talk about sin. And if, if you've heard of sin before, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page here. So we'll have a definition right up here for what sin is. And the Bible teaches us in the Old and New Testament that sin is anything that we say. And yeah, write this down. I see some of those pens moving. Sin is anything that we say anything that we do, or anything that we think that falls short of God's perfect standard. And this is a word that's thrown around a lot, not just in Christian circles, but, but in a lot of religious circles. And whenever you hear sin, that's what we mean when we say this. Sin is something that the Old Testament teaches us about, and it's also something that the, the New Testament teaches. In the Old Testament, God gives to Moses the Ten Commandments, and, and these are 10 rules for the nation of Israel to, to so clearly follow. And God shows us what he views as wrong or as right through these 10 commandments and then through the, the rest of the Mosaic law that will come. But I just want to pull out two of those 10 commandments because I'm pretty sure that all of us, if not a great majority of us, would agree that when the Bible says in the 10 commandments, you shall not kill and you shall not commit adultery, we're all like, yeah. Of course, those, b both of those things are so clearly wrong and not okay. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. What adultery means is to have sexual relations with someone who is not your spouse. And we're like, yes, that is wrong. And then in the New Testament, what happens in the New Testament is, is Jesus comes onto the scene. And when I say Jesus, Jesus is, is fully God and fully man. I'm a big Christian hip-hop fan, and my favorite rapper is Shy Lin. I don't know if anyone's heard of Shy Lin. Yeah. Yes, one. There's two of us in this room who love Shy Lin. Uh, but what Shy Lin does is he uses the avenue of hip-hop to communicate God's truth, and it's so beautiful. And I'd encourage you to check it out because I've just had the gospel preached to me through Shy Lin's songs, and I've learned about God through Shy Lin's songs, and one of his songs is called the hypostatic union, and it's a big theological word, but what the hypostatic union means is that Jesus was fully God and fully man when he lived on this earth. Shailen says, fully divine, fully human. Yeah, I'm talking the hypostatic union. And he just communicates it so beautifully to show us that Jesus wasn't just 
kind of man and kind of God at the same time. Jesus was fully man and fully God. And that Jesus took the form of flesh and, and lived on this earth. And, and Jesus knew what the Ten Commandments say, but, but I want you to see that Jesus didn't come to earth and preach a lighter message of what sin is. Actually, Jesus elevated for us our understanding of what sin is. And in Matthew chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus gives the famous Sermon on the Mount. And, and he talks about these two commands that I pulled from. And Jesus says, you know it is written, you shall not murder, because whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And Jesus says, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother in his heart, or whoever gives insults, is liable to the same judgment. So what does Jesus show us there? That it's not just what we do that makes us sinful. It's not just the murderers who are sinful, but we're actually in the same category as murderers if, if we are angry with someone unrighteously in our heart, or if we give insults to someone. Jesus says, you're in the, you're in the same category here. And later on in chapter 5 of, of Matthew, Jesus says, you know it's also written, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever lusts at a woman that's not his wife has committed adultery in his heart. So again, he shows us it's not just about the action of adultery, but it's even the posture of our heart and the thoughts of our mind that define sin. So it's anything we say, do, or think that falls short of God's perfect standard. And guys, here's point number one. I'm going to give it to you right off the bat. Point number one is that we are all sinners. And you might agree or disagree with me right now on this, but what I just want to do this morning is just open up God's word and show you where, where I'm pulling this from and, and for you to be able to walk out and be able to say, this is how God views sin and God views all of us when we're born in our natural state as sinners. And where that comes from is Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And that verse says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Earlier in that chapter, that, that verse says, no one is righteous, no, not one. It, the Bible makes it crystal clear that we are all sinners. And I told you last night that as I've studied Daniel more and more, I'm realizing that, man, in, in our natural state, we're a lot more like Nebuchadnezzar than we are like Daniel. So my, what we're going to do now is, is hop back into the narrative of Daniel. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 4, and again, look at, look at an interaction between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. And my prayer is that as I show you, and then, and then we'll look back a little bit at chapters 2 and 3, but as I show you three different ways that Nebuchadnezzar's sin is on display, my prayer is that the Lord almost puts a mirror up in front of you for you to look at Nebuchadnezzar and see his sin, and then to be convicted of that same sin in our own life. Okay, I'm going to get a quick drink, and then we'll hop into Daniel chapter 4. Okay, so kind of like yesterday, I'll, I'll give a big overview, and then the, the main text tonight is going to be chapter 4, 27 through 33. But what happens in chapter 4, and, and just like Hume beautifully portrayed in that video just now, is that the Nez, or Nebuchadnezzar, has another dream that greatly disturbs him. And at this point, Daniel has been, uh, been promoted to a high position in the kingdom of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar does what he did before, and, and he calls together all the wise men. And this time, he even tells the wise men what the dream is. And he says, I have to know the interpretation of this dream. It, it greatly disturbed me. But once again, 
all of the wise men, the, the mightiest nation on the planet, they, they called together their best and they couldn't give the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar knows that Daniel has a personal relationship with God Almighty. And God Almighty has re- revealed a mystery to Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel before. So then he goes in desperation to Daniel. And the Babylonian, that, Babylonian name that Daniel is given now is Belteshazzar. And again, Nebuchadnezzar tries to completely flip Daniel's identity from being a child of God, from being in, in the covenant family of God, to, to being Nebuchadnezzar's subject. So he refers to him as Belteshazzar now. But I love that a majority of, of the book of Daniel r- reminds us of his, his Israel, Israelite name, his Hebrew name. And he tells Daniel what the dream was. And Joey's going to pull up a picture here where, where we see there's, there's a great and mighty tree And honestly, this picture doesn't even do justice, but you see the tree is next to a massive mountain. And in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he says that the tree covered the whole earth, that there were birds flying all throughout this tree. There was enough enough food and fruit that this tree made for, for all the peoples of the earth, and that all the beasts of the field rested under this tree. But then all of a sudden in the dream, there came down from heaven a messenger that said, chop down the tree. But, but keep a stump and then bound it in chains and the tree will, will start to think like a beast and seven periods of time will pass over until this tree knows that the most high, in other words, God, rules kingdoms and gives it to whom he wills. So in this instance, God in his mercy gives Daniel the interpretation of the dream right there. Nebuchadnezzar tells him the dream, and then we see in chapter 4 that Daniel knows what the dream is, but then we see even Daniel's heart for Nebuchadnezzar, where where Daniel says, O king, I wish this dream were were for one of your enemies, because Daniel's scared because he knows what the Lord is telling Nebuchadnezzar through this dream. So now let's let's hop in to verse 27, and I'm going to read to 33. And this is Daniel now talking. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months. He was walking on the, route, on the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon? which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. And I love this. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Everyone look to your neighbor and say, yuck. Because look at what Nebuchadnezzar's sin and pride led him to. This gross beast who's literally thinking and eating grass 
like an ox. This was the mightiest man on the planet. Walks up on his palace and says, look at this great kingdom which I have built for my glory. And then immediately God stops him there and humbles him. But God doesn't just wipe him out. And and I want you to remember point number one. Because what we're seeing here, point number one was that we're all sinners. And what we're seeing here in, in chapter four is the sin of pride that Nebuchadnezzar is showing. Saying that, look at what I did for my glory. I did this in my strength. And then now looking back to to chapters 2 through 4, here's three ways that we see Nebuchadnezzar's sins on display that I I really believe that all of us can relate to if we're completely honest with ourselves. And the first one, if you remember with me last night, uh, chapter 2, verse 47, where Daniel gives the first interpretation of of his dream. And Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel, your your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. But then, remember, we turned to our neighbor and said, oh, no, because chapter 3 came right after chapter 2. And Nebuchadnezzar does not walk out the same faith that that he said he had in that moment. And I told you this is the sin of unbelief. This is the sin of professing without truly believing, which I have done before in my life. I've made decisions at camp or I've answered the right questions in youth group. I had the head knowledge, but, but I didn't really believe. And the evidence of that unbelief was that my life was not transformed. I'm not saying that our life is going to be perfect once we truly believe, but there's a clear transformation that happens when, when we truly do surrender to Jesus as Lord. And another area that we see a similar principle in Scripture, and you can turn here if you'd like, it's Matthew chapter 7. Verses 21 to 23. And this is actually a a verse that I believe the Holy Spirit brings to my mind quite a bit. Because in our human nature, our natural instinct is to think that to to be someone or, or to do something, we have to do it in our own strength. But Jesus makes it crystal clear here. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. So Jesus is still giving the same sermon, and this is near the end of it. And he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So what is Jesus showing us here? He's showing us that if anyone comes to God and says, and is talking in the first person and saying, look at what I have done, I deserve to be with you, Jesus is saying that's not how the kingdom of God works. The only way to stand before God is not to talk in the first person, but to talk in the third person and to say, look at what Jesus has done on my behalf. Not look at what I've done, Can we just be real with one another that we're not as great as we try and pretend to be? That we actually fail a lot in what we do, think, and say? So we got to come to God and not say, look at my resume, but no, just look at what Jesus has done. Do you really know Jesus? Jesus told those people, "I, I never knew you. You just did all these things for your glory. Do you really know Jesus? Don't have the sin of unbelief 
And if you do, it's, you can come right now this week and, and confess that and then walk in faith and, and learn from the mistakes of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, of me, and of so many of us here in this room. The second sin that we see on display, that's now in chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar crafts this 90-foot golden statue and tells everyone from all nations to bow down and worship this inanimate object. And I, I, I want you, you may be thinking I'm, that you're not crafting a 90-foot golden statue and telling thousands of people to bow down to it. And we might not be so bold to do that like Nebuchadnezzar, but we are just as guilty for the idols that we have in our life. And yeah, I've, I've never crafted a 90-foot golden statue, but when I say an idol, an idol, like we kind of talked about yesterday, is anyone or anything that comes before God Almighty. It's an object of worship. It's what we're giving our praise to. And for me, my idol was actually a, a digital idol. And I, I used to have Instagram, but I don't have Instagram anymore because I, I just came under this conviction that I wasn't handling it properly. And I don't think Instagram or social media is evil. I think it can actually be used for good. But I was not using it for good or, or for God's glory and I was just so convicted that all of my posts and all of my captions, they just revolved around me and for people to like me and, and to get the glory and praise on me rather than, than God getting the glory and praise. And I had such a, a selfish mindset there and, and so much of my thought life was consumed on, on my reputation and what I looked like. And I had that digital idol because I was coming before God and how many followers I had, and, and how many likes I was getting. So maybe you haven't crafted a statue, but maybe you're in the same category of me as me, where you have this digital idol of, of yourself, that, that you're giving this perception off to everyone, and, and you just want all the glory and praise on you, if you're really honest with yourself. But maybe it's not that. Maybe for you, it's video games. And again, none of these things, none of these things are bad in their nature, but if they're coming before God, then that is, is where we fall into the sin of idolatry. And if your thought life is just consumed with video games 24-7, then I think you should re-examine your hearts and, and see how God can replace the, the primary of your thought life. Maybe it's a boy or a girl that you like, which God's given us this desire, but if, if that boy or if that girl is coming before God Almighty, then that needs to be reevaluated. Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's what other people think of you or, or your comfort or even a celebrity that you are just idolizing before God Almighty, the creator of heavens and the earth. So again, we might not be so bold to craft this 90-foot golden statue, but we are just as guilty as Nebuchadnezzar for the idols that we have in our life. And then the third example that we just read from today, where Nebuchadnezzar walks out on the balcony and looks over the kingdom of Babylon and he says, is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power? And, and what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here is, is he's saying, I am sovereign. And I can just imagine God on his infinite throne, just seeing this, this tiny, tiny man saying, look at what I've done in my strength. And then God humbles him. And it, this story baffled me when I first studied it because uh, God gave Nebuchadnezzar this dream that Nebuchadnezzar's the tree, and unless Nebuchadnezzar repents, there will be punishment that comes. 
And you may have heard the word repent before. That's another common religious word. And basically what that means is that Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar he needed to repent, that Nebuchadnezzar was living for himself, was not being good with other people, but he needed to turn the direction, take a complete 180 turn. That is repenting. It's going from my way and then, okay, God, I'm all in for you. Nebuchadnezzar needed to repent, and if he didn't, punishment was coming. And friends, maybe you've heard this before, but if not, you're going to hear this this morning, that we actually have also been told the same thing, that unless we repent from our sin, punishment is coming. And where do I get that from? This is point number two. The wages of sin is death. And Joey, you can throw that up on the screen. Point number two, main point, the wages of sin is death. That comes from Romans 6.23, literally word for word at the beginning of that verse, that the wages of sin is death. So what does that mean? Well, does anyone in here have a job that you get paid for? Yeah. What's your name? Abby. What do you do for work? Dairy Queen. Hallelujah. And how much do you get paid? 15.25. So Abby works at Dairy Queen, and the wages of her labor is $15.25 an hour. Who else has a job in here? Yeah. Um, I'm an archery instructor. Archery instructor. That's legit. What's your name? Daniel. Daniel. And how much do you get paid? Like $17 or $16. You don't know? It's like one of those. <laughs> okay, you said Danny, right? So Danny's an archery instructor, and the wages for him instructing someone in the practice of archery is $16 or $17 an hour. So what wages are is a payment for our labor. And what this verse is showing us is that if we're all sinners, like main point number one said, then the payment or the result of our sin is death. And again, we're all sinners, Romans 3.23. And some of us in this room may be saying like, okay, then, then I'm a sinner according to what the Bible's saying, but I'm not as bad as some other people because there's some really, really wicked people here in this world. Well, then here's the verse for you. James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So something that, that we've been telling you this week is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign over the entire universe. Another attribute of God that we learn from, from God's word is that God is holy. When the Bible says that God is holy, that means that he is set apart, that he's completely other than. And even in, in the moral realm, when it says that God is holy, that means that God is morally perfect. And that we are unholy because we're not morally perfect. If we've had one bad thought, if we've made one bad choice or action, then we are sinners and that makes us unholy. Do we think this is bad news? Well, it gets even worse as we continue to study God's word. And open up, actually we're going to have it up on the screen. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8. And I, I referenced this chapter yesterday because... Revelation 21 and 22 have become the most, one of the most beautiful parts of scripture for me because that's where we get to see as followers of Jesus where 99 plus percent of our existence will be. But here's a terrifying verse in the middle of this chapter of 21. And this is when, when eternity continues, when this physical world changes, ultimately for the good. But Revelation 21.8 says, But as for the cowardly, 
the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And friends, what I've done is I've showed us that we, just like Nebuchadnezzar, are faithless, the sin of unbelief. We've seen through God's word that Jesus said, if you're angry with someone in your heart, or if you've ever insulted someone, then you're liable for the same judgment that murderers are, the sexually immoral. We're liable if we've, we've ever lusted at someone else. We're liable to the same judgment, which is the second death. And, and you may have heard the word hell before, and that's what hell is. It's spending eternity apart from God, and it's absent of God's grace, and it's God implementing the justice that our sin rightly deserves us. Because here's what's so scary for me. When, when I, in my own strength, try and process this, I can't. But then I realize that if, if a murderer is convicted of a crime and the judge says guilty, I celebrate it. But for some reason, when the Bible shows me that I'm guilty and that I deserve death and the second death, then I'm like, that's not fair. But I promise it is. And I told you yesterday, if we could make complete sense of God and his ways, then he wouldn't be worth our worship. But as we learn more about God, we learn that God is sovereign, God is holy, and then also that God is just that you'll see up there. And what just means is that God is fair, that God is not impartial. And the only just result of our sin would be death, like we learned from the Bible. And just like we wouldn't want a judge here on earth to look at a criminal who's, who's convicted of murder and to say, you're good, go ahead, you're free to go. God is just, and God cannot do that. And the crime that we've committed against God in our sin is too severe for him to ignore. But here's what's beautiful. Because I want you to process this heavy news. And I've heard people say before, and I've even said it myself, that we can't know the good news until we know the bad news. But I've actually come, come to a realization in my walk with the Lord that this actually isn't bad news. Because it's from God, and, and it's actually good news because God is just, and this is what sinners deserve. But it's not the end of the story. God doesn't just say, you deserve to die in your sin, but someone needs to die. And that's what's beautiful, and I'm going to give you a little taste of what's coming tonight, because I've shared with you Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death, but the verse doesn't end there, friends. And what we're going to talk about tonight is the rest of that verse. The wages of sin is death comma, but, and I couldn't put enough exclamation points there, because the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that could have been the end of the story. God would have been just and right and good to just bring sinners to die, because that's what we deserve, but there's a comma there, and then but. That's not the end of the story. And you may have heard before that Jesus loves you, but I'm going to share with you how Jesus showed that love on the cross. There's another verse. 
from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. It's talking about Jesus, and Peter says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. And we have this great reality that one day we are going to stand before God Almighty, and he's going to see us as his child, or he's going to see us as his enemy. And we will either pay the death that we deserve, or God will look at us and see Jesus' death. Because someone's got to die for our sin. And Jesus came to die for us in our place. And he did not deserve that. We do. But he loved us enough to save us from the sentence that we so rightly deserve. That's what we get to talk about tonight. I'm not just going to tell you Jesus loves you. I'm going to show you through God's word tonight how he showed that love through his actions. But before we get there, and we call that the gospel. Gospel literally means good news. If I were to define the gospel, it's the good news that through Jesus, we can be made right with God. That's what we get to talk about tonight. But before we get there, I just want the rest of this day, I want us to be in a posture, a posture of vulnerability. And, and I want you to walk out of these doors knowing how God views sin through his word. You might agree or you might disagree. Bring that to the Lord. But I want just the heaviness of the reality of our sin to just really marinate the rest of this day so that we can come and realize that we need saving. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus is our Savior. But it's not good news that he's our Savior until we first come to him recognizing that we so desperately need saving. So let's pray. Lord, I truly ask, if, if any of these words were from me, that you just help us to forget it. And, and Holy Spirit, that whatever was from you tonight, whatever you taught us through your word, that you help us remember this. Holy Spirit, we know that part of your role is, is to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. And would you just allow the, the heaviness of, of the conviction to just sit on these students today? to recognize that we cannot stand before you, our holy God. We are your enemies, but through Jesus, we get to be your children. So I just pray that your, your family grows this week as a result of, of more coming to faith in you. But help us to process and comprehend this truth and, and maybe even confess sin that we've never confessed before because we just need to come so real to you and stop hiding and stop pretending like we're something great. And Lord, help me remember that as I'm, I'm pointing at the audience, there's three fingers pointing back at me, Lord, and, and we're all in the same category. We all just so desperately need you, Jesus, in your name, amen.